time for another episode of The Epic Narrative. Thanks for coming. Here's my dad, Bob Switzer. Welcome back to The Epic Narrative. We left you in quite a spot last week. <laughs> or at least the last episode. I don't know when you're listening to it. For all I know, it could have just been 40 minutes ago we left you. But either way, man is in quite a spot. And remember, this is that where man is, the sinner. The sinner is usually where people go back to. That's usually where they, they consider themselves. And I do think in a lot of ways, you know, we get comfortable being the sinner and then we start to think of ourselves as as excused in some way when we do sin. It's like, well, eh, you know, I, I when when we all get to heaven, then you know, then I I won't sin anymore. You know, I I felt I had a falling. I I I ate the fruit. I'm I I'm really sorry. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't apologize and that we don't fall, but. If we think that we kind of start our story when we sin, then when we sin, we kind of identify ourselves as a sinner rather than the actual identity that we are, which is in creation, a pure, light-giving, frequency in sync with God, our creator, that we all came out of the beginning in unity, in love. That's our identity. So when we fall, it's just a moment. It's just a trip. It's just okay. And when God disciplines, he disciplines out of grace and mercy. And it's not a sign of weakness because God is all good. He is completely out of balance. (laughs) All right. Sorry, <laughs> I get wrapped up in my head sometimes. All right, so we're gonna take a we're gonna take a where where are we? Oh yes, they have no concept of being separated from God. They have no concept of being separated from each other. They are hiding with their fig leaves on. I don't know if they're in the trees yet, but they're covered. They're by the fig trees, I guess at least. And what are they starting to think? What would you think? Well, for the first time in their in their lives, in the in the thousand plus years that they could have been alive, maybe it's only been a day or two, but in for the first time in that moment, they start to wonder: Are we in trouble? Should we be afraid? What if God isn't good all the time? I mean, what if, what if it's his fault that there's evil in us? Yeah, yeah, because a lot of people think that, right? A lot of people are like, well, God created the good and the evil, so it's kind of his fault. It's not my fault. It's just the way God made me. I'm, uh, you know, I am predisposed to be a sinner. I'm a sinner, saved by grace, but I'm a sinner. I'm predisposed to this kind of stuff. I, I can't help myself. I have no doubt that Adam and Eve started to have those kind of thoughts because that's where these thoughts come from. They come from the evil. And God didn't you know, prevent that, that freedom of choice because freedom is a part of love. 
if God didn't allow that kind of choice to be made, he would have been what's sometimes known as a benevolent dictator. Like, I love you, but you have to do what I tell you or I'll kill you. And there's, like I said, I, I think I said it last last episode, there are a lot, of, a lot of ministry leaders, a lot of fathers and mothers and houses. There's just a lot of um, political leaders that have that same mindset. I'm right, and because I love you, I'm going to force you to obey. God does not operate that way. I think it's vital that we see that because our picture of God indicates our, our, our influences, not indicates, it influences our theology. It influences our translation from original Greek and Hebrew languages. And that's why I think in a lot of ways, God comes off looking like a bipolar lunatic at times. So with this newfound fear of separation and doubt of God's goodness and, and uncertainty of what might happen, with this newfound feeling of exposure on, on every level, not just physically, but every level of this, you know, this sense of loss of what they used to be the purity, the light. At some level, I think they experienced silence for the first time because they always heard the music of creation. They always heard the songs of the rocks and the trees and the ocean and all the creatures. And they were able to talk with them and interact with them. Probably not in English. Let's not kid ourselves. But I believe in, in sound waves and in light waves. They communicated with everything, and now they weren't. They heard themselves breathing. They heard their heartbeat. They heard the their blood. What was that? They had never experienced these things before. They're confused. Verse 7, or sorry, verse 8 of chapter 3. Then... Then, sorry, I need to stop there. That's that's one of those segment of time words. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? All right, so let's break down these verses. Then... The man. So in some sort of segment of time, he heard the sound of God. Now, <laughs> let's be, let's, let's just be practical here. God does not need to be heard when he arrives. Okay. God could have just, just, uh, he's light. He's a spirit. Like we sometimes, you know, you know, we read this book like, well, God's walking. So, of course, he's making noise. No, 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 no. Trust me. He didn't need to make any noise. He could have just showed up. He could have just because like, he clearly knew where they were. It's not like he lost track of them. Like, dang, where'd those two go? I have this big garden. I only got two kids to keep track of. Dag, numb it. I got to go down there and find them thing. I can't find them. They're wearing, wearing camouflage clothing. I can't get, can't see a dang thing down here. I got to start calling out, hey, Adam! 
Actually, they, they literally weren't a, named Adam and Eve yet anyway. So I know I've used that for several chapters now, mostly just because of, it's familiar for everybody. But they don't have a name yet. They're just beings. They're beautiful beings, a male and a female being. But God allowed himself to be heard. He didn't just arrive in the middle of their shock, in their shame, in their guilt, all of which, right? They had never, they had no idea what shame and guilt were before. Which goes on to say that they didn't know what shame and guilt were because God has no shame and guilt to bring. Just like he can't deliver cancer from heaven, he can't deliver shame and guilt from heaven either. And, 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 Many times I think people people misunderstand shame and guilt as from God, and so they assume that you know that something they did was disappointing to him. No, that comes from the enemy. Now God does bring conviction, but conviction, this is how you know the difference. Conviction is an invitation for deeper relationship. It's an invitation for a higher perspective on your behavior so that you shift your behavior because you're now closer in awareness to your true identity. You're in a better receptive mode to the frequency of heaven, thereby taking a change. Your conviction changes you from the inside. It, it puts you more into alignment with who you really are. Guilt and shame don't come from God. And so he didn't show up in the middle of, of their of this weird, crazy world that they were suddenly found themselves in where they felt guilt and shame and doubt and fear and anger and frustration. And they wanted to blame each other, blame God, deflection, feeling like a victim. Do you have any idea what the, a victim for the first time in history, someone felt like a victim. This is an insane atmosphere that they're in. And what does God do? He says, you know what? If I just show up, I'm going to freak them out. So I'm going to come in slow. I'm not going to just rush in. I'm going to announce my presence. I'm going to give them an opportunity to respond however they would like. I don't think God ever shows up unannounced when people have had a failing of some sort. I think he always tries to make his presence known because his presence is always an invitation to come out into the light of who he is. So they heard the sound as he was walking in the garden. <laughs> and again, I think he probably had to make sounds because the grass and the and the leaves would have naturally bent to their creator they would have just they would have just given way to him they wouldn't have crunched or fought back and it wasn't it wasn't like there were a bunch of dead leaves laying on the ground and dead sticks laying on the ground anyway there were just everything was life so whatever he did he had to kind of announce it and clap his hands like hum a little tune <laughs> Hey, Adam, where are you? 
No. God comes in gently and lovingly, which allows his creation to choose how they want to respond. Do you understand that? He doesn't announce himself. I mean, he doesn't, sorry, he doesn't just show up and freak people out. He announces himself because, because love is going to invite you into deeper connection. That's what conviction does. If he had showed up suddenly, you know, and slapped him upside the head, that's guilt and shame. God does not do that. This is why it's important for us to break this down because our conception of God is so vital in our theology and the way that we filter our circumstances and our and our uh, experiences and how we interact with those circumstances and those experiences is vital. We have to understand how God came in. He came in gently and he came in with an invitation. I'm going to let myself be heard. What was their response? And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They ran to the trees, things they had taken seeds from and planted elsewhere, things that they had tended, things that they had communed with and sung songs with and loved on, trees that they had eaten off of. I mean... <laughs> They, they literally could eat anything, like any leaf. They could just eat it, not because not they needed it, just to see what it tasted like. It was all good. So they had, they, they, had, they had fed the trees their light. By walking around, the trees would just naturally bend toward them like leaves bending toward the sun. They were like, oh, yeah, let me drink you in. And they would just, in the frequency of creation, just reach out to the trees and or rub their, their trunk, and the tree would just like, just absorb and, and pop forth with new life, just like, yeah, like a supercharged like, uh, aspect of, of Adam and Eve's presence. They would, you know, they, the trees grew normally, but when Adam and Eve would touch them, it was like a boost, it was like getting a Red Bull which I know is mostly sugar and horrible for you. Please don't drink it. But that was kind of the response of creation to Adam and Eve. So here they are running to the trees. Maybe they're still in the fig trees. I don't know. But they're touching these trees and the trees aren't getting any sort of booster shot from it. They might have even been a little confused. They're like, wait, don't, don't we normally talk with these guys? Don't we normally sing with them? Are, isn't there a response? Here they are hiding amongst us, like, like leaning against us, like they, they don't want God to find them. And God's over there making all kinds of noise. What, 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 what is that about? Normally he just, he, you know, he just blows in here like something beautiful and graceful and elegant and shimmering and gorgeous. And now he's like, you know, banging, <laughs> banging things. <laughs> I don't know what he would bang. A couple rocks together, I guess. I don't know. Why are, why, why are the man and woman, why are they hiding? The trees had to be a little confused. And then God calls to them. 
he calls to them, where are you? He didn't declare, he didn't reveal, he didn't tell them anything, or even, quote, speak the truth in love. <laughs> That's a classic, a classic excuse for, for many Christians to just be rude and obnoxious to one another. I'm going to speak the truth in love. I, I love you enough to be mean and rude. Wait, but love, love isn't rude. <laughs> love is gracious. Love is kind. Love is patient. Well, not today. Today, love is truth. And you need to change your behavior. You need to get right with God. You, no, if anybody had a right or an opportunity to do that, it was God when he walked into the garden. After Adam and Eve fell, after, after they sinned. No, he didn't declare, I have entered the garden that I created in the east of Eden because I've sensed a disturbance in the force and somebody must die. Something must die. For sin demands sacrifice. Sin demands blood. All of that is from a concept of God that is punitive. Right, the evil, the, the angry judge who needs to kill something every time somebody sins. No, he comes in and just lets them know that he's there. He doesn't even reveal their sin. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, bang a couple rocks together and say, Hey, I know what you did. Come on out. I even know where you are. I can see you. What do you think? You don't think the trees are talking to me? I created them. Remember, you used to be able to talk to them. No, but you had to go eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What did I tell you to do? What did I tell you to do? I told you, do not eat from that tree. Now get over here. No, because that's what a human parent would do. But a lot of times we as human parents have taken on a role that we think God has. Because we've misread God this whole time. Not everyone, but a lot of them have misread God. They haven't broken down his arrival into the garden. And can I just say one more? Yes, I can. Yeah. My, my engineer's like, yes, you can, Bob. It's your podcast. Thank you very much, Bob. I'm on it. So many people look at sin as something that separates you from God. Let's look at the, the, the law of first mentioned. It's sin is first mentioned in the Bible, and who the f shows up? God does. You think he's separated? You think sin separates him from, from, from you? Look at this story. Adam and Eve sin, and God literally shows up. He walks right into it. Why? He is not afraid of sin. He's not separated by sin. There is nothing you can do that will separate you from the love of God. So don't, don't fall for that. And if you, if you use that verse, 
that 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 Jesus says on the on the cross where he says, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" I will give you just another quick lesson. I think I've mentioned it before. I know I did in last year's epic narrative. That phrase, "My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me?" is the opening phrase of Psalm Bobby should have looked this up. I believe it's Psalm 21. But the concept is this. Every rabbi, every teacher of the Jewish culture would start a psalm and everybody who was who was Jewish had been required to memorize psalms, all of them. They would know the rest of the psalm. Jesus was doing what every good rabbi would do. Start a psalm and then let you come to the conclusion of the psalm. And if you read the whole psalm, David starts out by saying, I think I'm separated, you know, you've forsaken me. And about halfway through, he's like, you've never forsaken me. You are always with me. The evil around me cannot, cannot, you know, be, be on me. Basically, he's, he just, Jesus is literally declaring the fact that God hasn't separated from him. And just like this story, God was not separated because of sin. He walks right up to it, and he speaks to it. He doesn't expose it. He doesn't reveal it. He doesn't, he doesn't try to make you feel bad about it or shame about it or guilt about it. He's looking for connection. He asks the question because he wants a conversation. He's giving opportunity for connection to be restored. He's not angry. He didn't come into the garden freaking out and screaming. I can't believe what the two of you have done. He didn't even come in and say it disappointingly. Oh, I can't believe what you two have done. Oh, you have ruined everything. And I knew you would. I knew you would because I know everything. And I knew you'd ruin it. And I'm gonna now going to have to like go through this whole thousands of year process to have my son die for everybody's sin because, well, I have to teach lessons to everybody for the next 2,000 years or 3,000 years, they have to realize that they can't get to me through sacrifice and they can't get to me through uh, through obedience and they can't get to me through suffering. I, I'm going to have to wait to teach them all these lessons through hundreds of years, force thousands of them to die in sin because I need to prove a point that you need me to sacrifice my son in order to get to heaven. But don't worry, I'm willing to do all that because I knew you were going to do this. Now come out from the trees and let's, you know, let's get this whipping over so that we can move on with the rest of plan B because you ruined plan A like I knew you would. And at some level, some people honestly believe that. They think, well, God put Adam and Eve in the garden to prove that even in a perfect, perfect environment, we would still choose to sin. Why? Because they only go back to these verses and they say, because we are sinners. And they don't go back to creation because, <laughs> don't get angry. I know, I really wanted to yell again. Okay, my engineer's like, stop it, Bob. You've redlined so many times today. 
All right. They don't go back to creation. They go back to this point. So their whole concept is we were created to sin because God needs to prove a point to us. Please. This is this is just a horrible, horrible lie of the enemy. It's horrible. Oh my word. I, I'm I like my my I'm sorry. There's probably well no, hopefully my producer will take out that long pause because I just I just the ramifications of that of that theology have ruined years of opportunity for Christians to step into their role on earth as it is in heaven. Because we somehow believe that we are cut off from the frequency of heaven because we just keep sinning every day. <laughs> I remember once I was doing a street fair, loved doing street fairs, uh, just ministering to people on the, you know, in the, in the city and, and we would let churches, you know, come up and sing songs or whatever. And uh, at least at that point we did. And huh, we just have everybody there, literally. Like the street was filled with drug dealers, probably dealing drugs. It, it, like, but we just didn't care. We were just there to love on people. So we're just giving stuff away and blessing them and praying for them. But just, we just wanted them to feel love. We used to call them love wins uh, uh, events. It was awesome. But I remember this one preacher got up, man, she was laying into the crowd and she was just like, I want everybody to be quiet. I want you to think about, I want quiet, everybody quiet. Like she literally wanted us to shut off the, the generators for the, uh, you know, for the bounce houses for the kids. I want you to think about how you have disappointed God today. The number of times that you've sinned today. And I, I was cringing. Here I am running running it, right? And I'm just like, oh, no, 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 no. What are we doing? Now, I don't doubt her motive. I know her motive was to impact the people that she works with and, and the people that were on that street. She wanted them to know that God loved them and gave his only son to die for them. I, I get that. I do. But her approach was so different. Than what I believe God does when he when he's around sin, he walks up to it, he calls out to it, and he invites an opportunity for connection. He's not angry. And he, and he, uh, verse nine, and God called to man, "Where are you?" And that phrase, "Where are you?" carries way more than just the location, right? He's not asking, "Where are you?" Like I can't find you. He's asking the question, do you know what you've lost? Do you know where you are? Do you know where you've fallen? Do you understand where you went when you made that choice? Why, why does he want that? Because he wants to rub it in. He wants, he wants to rub it into Adam. He, he wants Adam and Eve to feel bad. No. No, he wants Adam and Eve to be aware. Trust me, they're in such a world of confusion and overwhelming emotions. He's like, I need you. I, I'm going to help you walk out of this. 
So answer my questions. Do you know where you are? Do you know what you've lost? Do you understand where you have fallen? That's that's the question he's asking Adam and Eve. They're huddled up in a you know behind a tree, maybe hugging each other in, in almost a fetal position with their you know with their fig leaves wrapped around them somehow and and they're wondering, oh my, you know, <laughs> they're saying to themselves, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And they're like, he's like, Yes, I'm here. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of what you've done. I'm not afraid of sin. But let's walk out of it do you know where you are do you know what you've lost do you like where you are wow these are questions that we should ask ourselves when we might trip up we should ask ourselves these questions do i like what i've lost what did I lose? Oh, nothing. Nothing. This didn't cost me a thing. Huh? So you're just going to lie to yourself. Well, it didn't. Okay. So you're just going to lie to yourself. <laughs> Do you know where you've fallen? Do you really know where you are when you're doing that, when you're lying, when you're cheating, when you're looking at that site, when you're dreaming about something that isn't yours? You like that? My engineer is like, ooh, subtle reference to, yeah, well, I've heard that, you know, children listen to this, so I can't actually say the, you know, I don't want them to be like, hey, mommy and daddy, what's he talking about? And mommy and daddy having to say it, but, you know, I thought that was a good subtle way of saying, you know, you're dreaming about something that you can't have. And that applies to a lot of things you can see on the internet. <laughs> I like that actually. That kind of came to me. Bob's over there clapping. Yeah, I know. Cheer my cheer. Cheer yourself on, Bob. You are. Thank you so much. All right. Sorry. Uh, do you like where you are? Ooh, snap. Well, I like. Listen, most people really like sin in the moment. Sin is one of those things where if you you know if you try. And I've, I've seen preachers do this, right? They just say it's, you know, it's horrible. It's never good. No, sin is usually really enjoyable in the moment. Now, when it becomes a habit or an addiction, right? It, it, even in the moment, a lot of times people that are addicted, they know it's not good, but they can't stop. But but people who, who's, who are in sin usually know that, you know, in that moment, they're thinking, yeah, I, I like where I'm at. But in the thoughts leading up to that decision, most of the time, there's some sort of debate going on. Like, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. Or they even say to themselves, well, I shouldn't be doing this, but, you know, God will forgive me. God will forgive me. Like, that kind of conversation means you know that you shouldn't be there. You know that what you're doing is not uh, appropriate for somebody who is a child of light who was created in love out of the beginning. Do I like where I am? Another way, another depth to the question, where are you, is God was saying, tell me about 
your spiritual and emotional place and your physical place. Tell me where you are spiritually. Tell me where you are emotionally. Tell me where you are physically. Do you, do you like all of that? Do you like hiding behind the trees wrapped in fig leaves? Do you, do you like that? Do you like where you've fallen? Do you know where you've fallen? I mean, do you, do you tell me about this emotionally? What's going on? How do you feel? How do you feel? And not just tell me what you're thinking. A lot of people do not know how to tell the difference between what they're thinking and what they're feeling. And they usually skip the feeling part. They're usually really good about telling you what they think and they'll dress it up like an emotion. I tell people, if you want to learn how to separate the two, and I know the two work really almost simultaneously, but it's really healthy. It does take some discipline, but it's really healthy to be able to separate the two. If, if you're giving an emotion, I'll, I'll give this to you really quick. If you're giving an emotion, you'll say, I feel blank, and you fill in the emotion. How you know that you're actually sharing a feeling, uh, a, a thought, sorry, how you're really actually sharing a thought is you put the word like or the or the word that in there. So you'll say like, you, you'll say, I feel like, boom, you, you actually, that word like moves you from the emotions to the thought. And that can be, that, that can be very confusing to good communication because emotions you really can't argue about, but opinions you can. Thoughts, thoughts can be changed. Emotions are just, they are what they are. And you can work with them and you can, you can interact with them and you can understand where they come from. But if all you share are, are your thoughts, you're going to end up in a lot of arguments and you're going to end up thinking someone doesn't ever listen to you. Someone doesn't understand you when the reality is you're not being really good at, at expressing yourself in a way that you could be understood because you keep sharing things that are actually thoughts and, and opinions rather than emotions. All right, that's enough about that. But he wants to know, tell me where you are spiritually. Tell me where you are emotionally. Tell me where you are physically. It's not a question of shame. It's a, it's a question of that self-awareness. Have you slowed down enough to figure out what in the world you're doing or what you just did? And in that question of self-awareness, oh, this is so important. This is so important because this is the essence of God showing up at one of our failings. I, 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 this is the essence of God when you've, quote, sinned. He's saying, do you want to repent? What does that mean? Re means to consider or to see and pent means elevated. Do you want to see a higher view? Do you want to see a, from a new location? Do you want to go from the penthouse? Do you want to see this from a, from a heavenly perspective? I want to know. Do you want to repent? This is so vital. Because this speaks to the emotional 
physical and spiritual healing that God wants to bring. This speaks to the connection and restoration of relationship that God wants to bring. When you sin, this is how God approaches you. He doesn't show up and start yelling. He doesn't surprise you and just heap guilt and shame on you. He doesn't just, he doesn't just reveal to everybody what you've done. He shows up in a way that you kind of know he's there and he waits for the invitation and he asks the questions that will bring healing, that will bring restoration. He's not angry. He's not offended. Oh, sweet Lord, he's not offended by your sin. He's not separated from you because of your sin. If any of, of those negative things were true, he wouldn't have showed up here. Adam and Eve would have just been transported out of the garden, just boom, oh, look what we did. And he would have left them to wander in their guilt and their shame. And, and they, they, he would have made them do like self-discipline, like beat yourself up until eventually I think you've paid enough and then I'll show up. Then I'll show up and say, okay, fine. I think you've, you know, beat yourself up for long enough. I think enough negative things have happened to you that maybe, maybe I'll let you come back to me. But you better really want to, and you better really behave if you do. Because you have no idea how disappointed I was. You have no idea how pissed off I got when you did that. You're lucky I didn't kill you. You're lucky. You better consider yourself blessed that you're even breathing. Because I'll just start over. That's That sort of theology has just permeated so many people's opinion of God. But we don't see it here in the garden. We don't see it the first time sin enters creation. We don't see that kind of God. Where do people come up with this? They come up with it because, because it makes them feel better. They come up with it because that's what evil does. It twists the truth. It steals light and life and replaces it with death and destruction. All those thoughts come from the evil side. This is light. Light comes in and says, hey, do you want to come walk with me in the garden? I came down because I want to walk with you. If God just wanted to discipline them, he could have just shouted it from the heavens. He could have just sent a messenger. He could have he could have uh, written it in the sky. He could have sent the two cherubim with the flaming swords and say, the two of you, come with me. You're being escorted out of here. You two really screwed up. No. God shows up in person because in that question, where are you? Not only is he, is he asking for this self-awareness, this idea of repentance, repentance is saying, you know, do you want that higher perspective? Do you want to walk with me in the garden? Because where are they going to get the perspective of, on sin that they need? They're going to get it from being with God. And that's what he's asking them. It's a beautiful, honestly, this is a beautiful picture of God. Don't miss this.
because the rest of the narrative will keep coming back to this. We'll keep going back to the light and love that we were created out from in the, out of the beginning and the beauty and light of God that walks with us in the, in the garden when we, when we fall. He's always looking for restoration. That's the beauty of God. All right. Uh, I know <laughs> I did two verses today. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I hope you, uh, if you've been feeling guilty or shame filled about your fallings, I really hope you feel some healing because God, God loves you and he always loved you and he's never been separated from you. He's just asking that question. Hey, where are you? Do you know where you are? Do you know what you've lost? Would you like it back again? Come walk with me in the garden. All right. I'll talk to you again next on the next episode of The Epic Narrative. Don't leave just yet. We've got Bob Thoughts. Well, I wanted to uh, <laughs> work. Uh, there's a lot. I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts right now, but I really like this episode. Um I, I really believe like if you hadn't listened to anything yet in Genesis, you could start here. And I just really like the way it all came together. But one of the things I wanted to address is uh, in, in my thoughts this week is the idea that God is out of balance. And, and I think that that idea, um, I don't know where it started, where it comes from. Uh, I don't think it's, I just don't think it's healthy because so many of us think, well, if he, you know, God's a little bit good and a little bit bad. That's really what the balance comes down to. God created the good, but also he, you know, he uses the bad. Now listen, God's goodness, we've covered this, right? God's goodness is always available. So even in a bad moment or bad circumstance or bad health or whatever, his goodness can override it and turn it turn it into something that's beneficial and, and profitable for you. But that doesn't mean he caused the evil. It doesn't mean he brought the evil. It doesn't mean that he turned his back and let bad stuff happen to you for a while. Now he's going to show back up like, like he went on vacation or he, uh, what's, what's that verse people like to throw out? Uh, you know, he, he gives them over to a reprobate mind. He just, you know, he walks away from you. And I, I don't need to break that down today, but you can't, you can't take that verse out of context of God's character. There's nothing in God's character that says he does that. It's, it's true in man's character, and when we want God to look like us, then we throw that out and we say, see, we're created in God's image. We behave just like him. No, 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 no. Like, don't, don't twist that. We're created in his image, absolutely, the image of light and goodness and love and hope and, and joy, and we've covered this a number of times, and we will continue to cover it throughout the book of Genesis. But what I want to I just mention again is he's not in balance. He is all good. He is all love. He is all light. He is all hope. And when you try to figure out, you know, this balance concept with God and you and man and civilization and world history, you're going to end up in trouble every time. God is not a God of balance. He is all joy. Like he, he's all joy. It's, it's, he is all hope. He is all light. In him is no darkness at all. He's a giver of good gifts, <laughs> not a little bit of both. He only gives 
good, good, good gifts that come from the Father of Light. I, I think, uh, yeah, I just wanted to hit that, and then I also wanted to hit a little bit more on, um, on the idea of good communication. I mentioned one of the first principles that my wife and I teach when it comes to communication, and it is that everything we see and hear creates a thought, which creates an emotion, which produces a behavior. I'll say it again. Everything I see and hear creates a thought, which creates an emotion, which produces a behavior. All behavior then can be traced back to our thoughts and our emotions. And if you can't separate your thoughts and emotions, then you will always struggle to understand your behavior and really the behavior of other people because you will see things and you'll, you'll have thoughts and you'll have emotions and then your behavior might be you know, to try and change what that person is doing rather than putting yourself in their shoes and saying, all right, if I was going to behave that way, what would I be thinking? What would I be feeling? And when you can look at somebody, this is a, this is a very similar concept to empathy. You look at somebody's behavior that you don't agree with and you put yourself in their, in their, in their shoes and you ask yourself, what would I be thinking and feeling in order to behave like that? or in order to say that, or in order to do that. Then you start to truly understand what's going on because your your mind will be able to uh, articulate what would have to happen for you to behave like that or say that or, or uh, agree with whatever it is that they agree with that you don't agree with. And it allows you then to communicate with them in a much more uh, gentle and authentic way because you're not trying to just put your thoughts on them and your behavior on them. You can come in and say, I'm just curious, uh, you know, do you think this? Do you feel this? Because that's what I would think and feel if I was doing what you're doing, or that's what I would have to think or feel in order to uh, believe what you're believing. Or you can even step back even further and check and see if you're right by saying, help me understand what are you? What were you thinking when when you do this? What what are you? What are you feeling when you do this? And if they're like, I don't know, say, well, that's interesting because I think I would be thinking this. I think I would be feeling this. Do you think or feel either one of those things when you're doing this, or any? You know, it could be a list of things. Any of those things when you're th- when you're doing or saying that, and it opens up a line of communication that allows for really clear and. Um, authentic and loving connection between people who theoretically don't agree with one another. It's honestly a, a, a beautiful, beautiful uh, thing to practice. And and uh, my wife and I have been teaching communication for a while. These principles are, are not unique to us. We've, I, I learned them in college. I don't remember the, <laughs> the author of them all. And there's lots of good ways, to, uh, principles of communication that are out there. We're not the, we don't have the, the corner on the market. But I do think my wife and I might do a, a series of bonus episodes uh, sometime, maybe this summer, on on our communication class. So to, uh, and, and kind of give walk you through the five principles that we teach, just because I do think they're really healthy, and it, we can all learn to communicate better and more clearly. Always, I've read and done multiple communication um, studies, because you can you can always learn, you can always pick stuff up. So hopefully you'll hear about that sometime in the uh, this summer. My wife's amazing. I'm sure you'll you'll love to hear from her uh, if you haven't ever met her. Uh, she's uh, she's a joy to be around. So that's uh, those are my thoughts for this week. Uh, I look forward to once again hanging out with you again next week on the Epic Narrative. 
Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. Bye.